And we're going to look at an old lesson, a familiar lesson that we've all heard a number of times, but hopefully we're going to look at it in a slightly fresh way. In John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And how many of you have heard somebody teach or preach on that lesson before? Raise your hands. Okay, so almost all of you. And when we, when we look at that lesson, it's, it's interesting. And preachers and teachers like to teach it because it is so interesting and there's all kinds of stuff you can pull out of it. I mean, you can talk about the woman and the, the Mosaic law and the woman being dragged by the Pharisees there. Well, where's the man? Have you heard that said before in a lesson? Where's the man? You know, or, or Jesus gets down and he writes something in the dust. And I wonder what Jesus wrote in the dust. Have you heard a preacher or somebody talk about, well, I wonder what. Re so we talk about all these things in that lesson that are true and very, very interesting. And I think the one thing that we focus on rightly that is powerful is Jesus is saying, let him without sin cast the first stone. And we can relate to that, right? We can relate to the fact that, well, that's right. All of us are sinners, right? All of us make mistakes, and so nobody's got a right to cast that stone at me. But how many of you have really heard lessons taught about the last thing that he said, the last five words, I think the heart of the lesson, go and sin no more. And as I thought about it, I don't remember a lot of lessons, and I don't think we're all that comfortable we don't even know how to do that for sure, let alone teach others how to do that. And so I think we shy away from that a little bit. So we're going to go deeper into that. So what is the meaning? What is the idea? Jesus communicated this phrase twice in the New Testament. And the first time we run into it is in John chapter 5 where we... we look at the healing of the man that is crippled, a paraplegic at the pool of Bethesda. And he's been there by the pool for years and Jesus miraculously heals him. And he jumps up and he's able to walk and he goes away praising. But the powerful thing is Jesus runs into him just a little while later in the temple and he told him, now you are well. This is in verse 14. Now you are well, so stop sinning. Now, isn't it interesting that a miraculous healing, such a powerful change in his life, does not guarantee the fact that he's going to stop sinning? Jesus tells him, now stop sinning. So he says, now stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. So we don't know the context. We don't know exactly what happened. But it almost appears like something that he was doing contributed to his ailment. And Jesus is saying, if you don't stop doing that, it's going to happen to you again and even worse. And the other place that we run into this where Jesus says this is in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, where we run into this woman. Now, this woman is caught in adultery. Guilty? Absolutely. Whether she's a prostitute or she's just in love with a man that happens to have a wife, we don't know exactly all the details of this, but we do know that these Pharisees caught her grabbed her and dragged her to the feet of Jesus and threw her down there in a power play. It says to try to catch Jesus, asking him, well, what should we do with this woman? Testing him on how he's going to interpret the law, right? And so these Pharisees see very little in this woman, but Jesus, as he looks at her, he sees somebody who's redeemable, who can change, 
So what does the phrase go and sin no more mean? It means don't waste the opportunity that I'm giving you in this moment to live whole and forgiven. Jesus can perform a miracle. He can heal a man that's crippled. He can forgive this woman and he can make her life in that instant completely whole. But is that a guarantee that everything in her life is going to change forever? No, absolutely not. Because when he says that, go and sin no more, he's telling her, he's telling her to make this experience permanent. Now, you see, we cannot experience a transforming power of forgiveness without being forever changed. It's going to change you. If you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, if you study the Bible to the point to where you realize that you need to turn your will and your life over to him, and you're baptized into Christ, it's forever going to change your life. But is it a guarantee that you're not going to sin anymore? Absolutely not. You see, in red, I don't know if you can see it very well up there, but change is not by nature permanent. Change by nature is not permanent. Change by nature is not permanent. Right? How many of you ever gone on a diet? How many of you ever tried to do anything to really change your life? How easy is it to make it permanent? It's hard, isn't it? So it's up to us to make it so, and that's where the real work starts, is we've got to make this incredible change permanent. So from slavery to freedom is an interesting concept because sin a lot of times is fun at first. We think it is. But why in John 8, 34, does he say we become slaves to sin? How long does it take until whatever that sin is that, that we thought was a lot of fun actually begins to control us? And in that control of us, a thought process invariably starts, whether you use these words or different ones, but the thought process starts of, well, I'm, I'm not enough to overcome this, to change this, to defeat this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not, I'm not courageous enough. I I'm, I'm not hopeful enough. I'm just not strong enough. I can't. I can't quit. I can't say it. I can't do it. I can't tell her what I want to. I can't, I can't let everybody know. And so that process creeps into our mind one way or the other and it begins to take over and make us a slave to the thought process of sin. Sin, in biblical terms, is really just missing the mark. So it's living under or below or outside of what God intends for us to be. And it doesn't matter whether we miss the mark by one degree or a thousand degrees the destination is still going to be different than Jesus. It's not where he wants us to end up. So even if it's just one degree, if it's lived out over a lifetime, you're going to end up over here. And Jesus says, I really wanted you over here. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so it's something that we have to watch out for. So Jesus has set us free in 836. We become slaves to sin. The Son sets us free. And in Romans 6, it talks about dying to sin. If you've died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? Easy. I just go back and keep doing it. 
I don't think that's what he means. I think what he means is, think about this. Do you really want to go back to that life? Do you really want to go back to those consequences? Do you think that woman caught in adultery really wants to go back to that lifestyle? No. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Hallelujah, right? But then immediately he says after that, Stand firm then. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Can you slide back? Can you go back? Can you fall back into it? You will. Absolutely. That's human nature. There is a battle involved that if you're not fighting, you're not fighting with the tools and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will go back. Now get it. I mean... I'm not necessarily just talking about drugs and alcohol and pornography and, you know, what about fear, shame, guilt, being anxious? Doesn't the Bible say be anxious? Not. Sin comes in all packages, all forms. Being kind to one another, loving one another, caring about one another. Are you not doing any of those things the way that you should? So I'm talking to all of you. I'm talking to every single one of us. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. So is he saying that we can slide back? Is he saying that we will go back? Is he saying that it's a guarantee that you're set free from all of this? No. That possibility is there, but you have to take advantage of it. But he says something interesting in verse 13. He says, But rather... Serve one another humbly in love. I think that helping others sin no more helps us. I think there's a connection. I think that there is an imperative there that if we are at work, if we're suffering to help others overcome, get by, make a difference, hang in there, then somehow or other that helps us, that changes us in the process. And we need to get better at helping each other sin no more. But that usually requires a little bit more than say, quit smoking. What are you thinking? Quit drinking. It's killing you. Stop looking at that stuff on the internet. I mean, it takes a little more than that, doesn't it? It usually takes being willing to walk alongside a person during a season of life that's very difficult. And it happens to be usually a season where they don't want to say anything about it because it's so embarrassing. And we kind of are reluctant to kind of lean into it. Don't you have enough problems of your own already? And so to kind of lean into that pain, to lean into that discomfort, to lean into that struggle of someone else takes extra effort. Effort that you may not have the energy for Oh, wait a minute. Jesus is working through you, isn't he? So that may help. So helping with hurting without hurting is hard. And a number of us have been looking at some books that I put up on the screen here to just kind of plant the seed and let you think about those. Helping without hurting in church benevolence. We've been looking through that. There's helping without hurting in short-term mission trips. We went through some of that material before our Mexico trip this year. 
also in small groups. Helping When Hurting Helps is, is a book that, that was written that I'd be happy to tell you about uh, in more detail. But the essence, I've read all these books and I've kind of gone through, I've been kind of thinking a lot about this stuff for the last four or five years. And the thing that I've gotten out of all of this is that I, it's real easy for me in several areas of my life to think, I've got it together. And if you don't, let me help you. Let me fix you. I can give you a check. I can give you advice. I can quote a Bible scripture. I can have a Bible study. I can baptize you. I can fix it for you. And it's also a temptation on my part to look at you and say, man, you're all messed up. It's, yeah, I, I don't know if you can make it. Without my help, that is. And so the thing that I've had to learn through these books is that I am still struggling after being a Christian for 37 years to recognize the truth that Christ is working in you and Christ is the one that's going to change you and all I get to do is go along for the ride. Now going along for the ride has its responsibilities and its blessings and its perks but it's not something I do for you. It may be something I do with you so that journey together, I'm learning. Some things just now learning. And it's not easy. But it's worth it. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking to this woman. Now I want to kind of challenge you here a little bit. Put yourself in the situation. This woman's been dragged. And put yourself in the situation of the woman caught in adultery. And how would you like to have seen the situation play out if you were her? So here you are at Jesus' feet. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She looks around, I don't know. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But he says it like this. He says, okay, be off with you. Go on, but be sure you don't sin anymore because look what happened to you. And if you do that again, the same thing's going to happen. And I don't know if I can keep them off the next time. So, hey, you better straighten up. I'll see you later. So that's one way to look at it, right? Or would you rather see it more like this? Hey, I know you can do this. I see it in you. I see that strength. I see what my father created in you to be. You don't need to go back. You don't need to do that anymore. So let's go. You don't need to sin anymore. But this is my personal favorite. This is the way that I think it went. Hey, you don't need to sin anymore. There's something much better. Let me walk with you. Let me show you. Let me encourage you when you get discouraged. Let me give you some ideas, some things to think about, maybe that you haven't seen quite like that before. And Jesus was willing to walk alongside this woman over a period of time and encourage her and teach her and instruct her and admonish her sometimes when it was necessary. But there was a genuine relationship built that that woman could count on. That that woman knew was rock solid. 
so wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, wouldn't it be cool to be able to walk alongside Jesus and say, hey, you know, I just don't know how to deal with this situation. I don't know how to handle this problem. I don't know what to say to that guy. I just, I'm so discouraged. I'm almost feeling depressed. What do you think? And to audibly, physically hear him, maybe put an arm around your shoulder and say, well, here's what I think. You could handle it like this. You could do that. Here's probably gonna, what's going to happen. And it would just, I mean, it's the Lord for crying out loud. Wouldn't that encourage you? Wouldn't that motivate you? Wouldn't that instruct you in the ways of righteousness? But how do we handle that now? See, we, we, we don't really have that option, do we? And so, as we go and sin no more, it kind of, you know, we need to think about this a little bit. What do we have? How can we walk with Jesus? Well, we have the incredibly powerful Word of God living in the Bible and living in us. And I would say if the living Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, isn't powerful in your life, powerful enough to teach and instruct and encourage and admonish and really make a difference in your life, then you're going to have problems. It's going to be really tough for you to do this. But besides the Word of God, we've got the people of God, the loving people of God, people that will walk alongside you trying their best to be like Christ. So there's some one another stuff that we really probably need to work on and we need to help each other. We need to be patient with one another. We need to love one another. We need to not have those stones ready in our pocket to throw because that's not our right. And the last thing is experiences. We have experiences in life. Some of them knock us to the ground. And some of those experiences that we've lived through cause fear. I'm wondering when I'm going to die of cancer because my mom did at about the same age that I am. I'm wondering when heart disease is going to catch up with me because my dad died of it about the same age I am. I'm wondering how much longer I'm going to be able to ride my bike. I'm wondering what old age is going to do to me. And all of these fears and these apprehensions, being anxious, crowd in on me. That's kind of my demons. What are yours? What are your life experiences that you're having to kind of struggle with how you interpret those? What does it mean? Is it financial? Is it spending too much? Is it not caring about that person that you say you love more than anybody else in the world? What experiences are you having or have you had? The woman received a message from Jesus, but it was much more than just five words. I think it was a promise to her that we must make to each other. So that's the problem. Next week, I'm so thrilled that I get to do this, and especially in conjunction with Recovery Month. Next week, we're going to look at some five practical steps. How do we do this? I mean, how do we really put this into practice in our lives? And there's a way to do it. So if you need to recover or repent of anything, then the church is here for you. The shepherds are here for you. I'm here for you. We want to help you. And what that means is we want to walk alongside you.
during difficult times. I am so thankful for, as I look out on this crowd, I'm so thankful for my friends, Christian friends, people that I've got to spend time with and I've got to know them and I've got to know some of the things that they struggle with because that means it's okay for me to let my guard down and let you know what I struggle with. And church, we need to work on that together. Being more transparent, being more open is going to help us to be able to help each other more.